Welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly data centers and telecoms news roundup podcast mm-hmm. published every Friday, brought to you by Capacity and Data Economy. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Ron Max Lima, and with me I have our Editor-at-Large, Alan Bucket-Cray, Deputy Editor Melanie Mingus, and Senior Reporter Abigail Opier. In this episode, Chinese giant Tessent sets aside $70 billion for cloud and AI data center campuses as part of China's $3.7 trillion IT infrastructure investments. KKR invests $1 billion in Europe's brand new data center player. Huawei faces new probes as CFO remains under house arrests. Europe finally says yes to the £10 billion 302 merger. And we look at the latest developments around COVID-19. And kicking things off this week, China wants more. But if last week the news were about the Chinese IPOs and American stock exchanges brought some shock to the market, this week we have had some news of huge investments. Just about a month after Alibaba's $29 billion cloud investment announcement, now it was Tessent's turn to make headlines with nothing else than $70 billion to be invested in cloud computing as well as other technological offerings. But the capital expansion is part of something much, much bigger happening in China, China right now. Um, Abigail, what can you tell us from this report? Yes, you're completely correct. The Chinese technology giants have set aside funding, large funding, for new infrastructure with more than a million servers to support global and regional digitization. Tencent has announced on their WeChat messaging platform on Tuesday that this will be that they'll be investing around 500 billion yuan, which is the equivalent to 70 billion dollars over the next five years to launch an array of advances, including cloud computing, as well as other technological offerings. Um, Other areas that they plan to spend their money on include artificial intelligence, blockchains, IoT and quantum computing. So all the big the big things that are set to change the landscape of digitization. The new infrastructure will include fifth generation wireless base stations, high speed rails, data centers and Internet of Things. And over the course of the five years, the company plans that they will basically account for one and a half percent of all server shipments. And the company needs all of their servers because on top of WeChat, it also runs a colossal gaming business, video streaming services and a small but growing cloud computing offering. Um, It has been reported that the company's plans may be in response to Alibaba's 27.9 billion three year investment plan in cloud services, which you mentioned earlier. Um, And uh, China has really been pushing for the development of new infrastructure, which include the development of technologies like 5G, and the likes of Tencent and Alibaba are clearly taking action. Definitely, it's, it's, it's well, the number is quite big from Tencent and Alibaba, but actually this is part of something much bigger, um, as I said in the introduction to this story, because um, China is expecting nothing else but more than $3.8 trillion um, in IT infrastructure and construction in the, over the next five years. Um, so this is according to Haitong Securities. This amounts to an average, just to put this into, into perspective, amounts to an average from January 2020 to December 2025 to an average of about $63 billion a month in IT investments and related investments. Um, So infrastructure developments alone are expected to total around $1.4 trillion, whilst generating related investments of $2.38 trillion, um, give it or take. Um, And then in 2020, so this year alone, they expect already $423 billion to be investing in new projects, benefiting 5G, base stations, data centers, industrial internet, artificial intelligence, um, new energy, vehicle charging infrastructure, intercity, high-speed rail networks, and data centers. So everything that you mentioned, uh, born at Chinese scale. 
and then interestingly, these developments, these, these investments are not just going to be made by tech giants. Um, as many as 20 provisional, provisional level regions have unveiled plans to expand their digital economies, with Shanghai, for example, planning to spend around $37.7 billion in the next three years alone. Um, and even more extraordinary this week, which was very interesting to, to hear, um, was the role that tech had to play at the two sessions. Um, so the two sessions are China's most important political um, events comprising of the National People's Congress and the Chinese People's Political Cons Consultative Conference. Um, it takes place every in Beijing. It's nearly 3,000 deputies that get together and they sort of present the agenda for China for the next year and the future. Um, this is where the One Belt, One Roads initiative was announced a few years ago, for example. Uh, but then one of the key calls came from no one else than actually Tessin's founder, Pony Ma, um, who released a seventh suggestion manifesto on how to advance China's economy, including four points point solely focused on technology. Um, he said that, for example, China needs to strengthen the top-level design, formulate a national strategy to systematically promote the development of the industrial internet and focus on the research and promotion of new infrastructure, digital transformation in all walks of life, smart cities, scientific research and innovation, and network information security. Um, he also proposed to accelerate the advancements of new infrastructures such as cloud computing and, and build a strategic cornerstone for the development of the digital economy, including a focus on the breakthrough in construction of a data center to further promote the open sharing of data innovate and promote the construction of smart cities and villages and improve digital governance level. I mean, this is all very exciting because you can clearly tell that China's tech sector is definitely undergoing a nationwide stimulus, very much driven by China's very own tech Mongols, um, like we saw with Alibaba and Tessens. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see how things evolve in the next five years over this $3.8 trillion package, um, and also see how other nations such as India Will respond. Um, so certainly there'll be a lot more billion dollars in IT infrastructure and tech being spent over the next few years. Um, yeah, and it'll also be interested to see how other people come together, including e-commerce, because I read recently that JD.com also decided to take up some sort of cloud computing marketing um, to dominate, that was usually dominated by Alibaba. So it'll be interesting to see how other players join in. Mm, definitely, and Baidu as well. Um, and then again, once India gets into the game as well. And we've seen Facebook getting into Reliance. Um, that's going to shake up things in the Asian market as well. Uh, but thank you, Abigail. Um, but let's still stay in China for a bit more and more accurately still with a Chinese company. Uh, in this case, we're talking about Huawei. So Huawei's period of bad news is not yet over as this week's CFO Ming Wanzhou lost the first bid to block her extradition to the US on charges of bank fraud. She is also accused of misleading HSBC about her Huawei Technologies Co. Limited own company's deals with Iran. Alan, you are our Huawei expert. What does this mean for the business and where does this leave the CFO? Um, it, for Huawei itself, I don't think it means anything significant as though it, it keeps on the tension between Huawei and the United States. For Meng Wangzhou, it means essentially she's confined, uh, not in a cell, but under house arrest in Vancouver, where she's been since uh, December 2018. Um, she flew in from uh, Hong Kong then to a home she's got in Vancouver, but was arrested at the airport uh, by the RCMP, the, the Canadian Federal Police, uh, on a request from the US. Um, and basically, the US want her, the Canadians to extradite her to face charges which they've got which relate to uh, basically relate to 
the fact that uh, she was involved with a Hong Kong company that was uh, allegedly owned and controlled by Huawei, which was controlled by, but which was claimed to be independent at the time. And it was a, an intermediary uh, to ship for shipping stuff to Iran uh, in uh, breaking US sanctions. Uh, the US does not allow anybody to ship US software and hardware to Iran because it's an embargoed country. And of course, if you buy stuff from an American company, you have to agree to abide by that embargo. And the, the claim is that Huawei didn't do that. It was a claim that was made against ZTE, the other Chinese telecoms giant, uh, a few years ago. And ZTE ended up paying a huge amount in, in fines. Uh, for. But for Meng Wanzhou, she's she's also the daughter of uh, Huawei CEO and founder Meng Jingfei. Uh, so it's it's a family issue as well as a company issue. Um, and this is going to go on for a long, long time. I think it's next. The next hearing is at the end of June in Vancouver. But everybody expects this will go on at least throughout the rest of this year, maybe into 2021. Um, and then there will probably be appeals on one side or the other. Um, the only thing that she could probably do is um, if sometime a court decision goes in her favour, she can hop on a plane at Vancouver and head back to Hong Kong. Uh, but that would mean she wasn't able ever to set foot in a Western nation again because she'd be arrested all over again. So basically, I think she's going to have to face it. Uh, I have no information about the merits or otherwise of the charges that the Americans are putting against her. Uh, I wouldn't want to comment on those, uh, but uh, I think it's really a stalemate as far as she's got concerned for the next few years. Um, I guess she's probably able to do her job because, you know, we're all doing jobs remotely from home. She hasn't been told that she isn't. She is still officially CFO of Huawei. So I don't think but uh, I don't think that's going to be uh, place any difficulty at the moment. But obviously, if if it came worst came to the worst from her point of view and she ended up in an American jail for 20 years, then she wouldn't be able to do that. But uh, I think that's a, a long way ahead. And at some point, I guess there will be, if you wanted me to look in a crystal ball, at some point there would be a, a compromise, uh, um, a plea bargaining or something like that. And she'd, she'd head off home to Shenzhen uh, in southern China. Hopefully. Um, well, we definitely will. This will run for the long run. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Especially with the latest coming out of the White House um, on the potential scale up on the war, um, trade war with China. Um, Indeed, I think I, I suspect it's part of that. Uh, but, you know, there are case there are there is a, a case that's been made against her, which isn't to do with a trade war. It's to mm. do with Iran. So yeah. uh, the FBI will see it through until told otherwise. Mm. OK, OK. Thank you, Alan. And in another set of important news this week, jumping to the other side of the pond in Europe, the European Commission has reversed its decision to block Telefonica from selling O2 to CK Hutchison, the parent company of three, in a deal worth more than £10 billion. Uh, Melanie, what made the EC change its mind? Um, well, the um, the European Commission blocked this originally in 2016, um, and we've actually covered a full timeline of the case um, as part of our online coverage. But what has been really, really interesting about this is the reaction from Hutchinson. Um, now, a couple of hours after they basically U-turned, Hutchinson won their appeal yesterday, um, they released a statement which held absolutely no punches. The company has said the Commission's approach acted as a break-on or in a number of cases prevented vital industry consolidation in Europe, which would have resulted in 
significant new investment, innovation and benefits for European consumers and industry. And they also said that the Commission, and I quote, was guided by a misconceived default view that European telecoms markets better served by a minimum of four network operators in each state. Um, they said this approach ignored market realities and that the evidence exists around the world of such mergers increasing investment, network improvements and consumer benefits. Now, um, as I said, we've covered the follow-up online recounting the major developments of the last five years and also looking at what this decision means for Telefonica. Um, but no doubt this story will keep giving for a little while longer. Um, now, remember that Telefonica has also been busy recently. Earlier this month, they announced the intention to merge O2 with Liberty Global's Virgin. Um, now, we learned from Telefonica yesterday that this latest merge will not be affected. Um, but on the Hutch deal, they have said that the company has moved on from that time. Um, so it's a little bit unclear what that means. But um, I guess we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. Um, Hutch has said it's still reviewing the um, complex judicial documents that it's received from the European Commission and that it is going to make further comments over the course of June. Um, but again, we'll wait and see and we'll see also if there may be another merger on the cards for 3UK. Hmm, that sounds very interesting. Um, do you think, think uh, Melanie, do you think there might be a, we might end up with a three-way major merger in the UK with Virgin Media, Media O2 and 3 all coming together into one giant telecoms rival? Well, I was thinking about this, but if the European Commission blocked the earlier smaller merger on the grounds that it would decrease competition and leave the consumer um, at a disadvantage, then I really can't see them going for all three merging together. Um, so I don't know whether or not one of these deals is going to drop away. Three may go for another partner. Um, but I mean, in light of the European Commission's viewpoint, I mean, obviously Hutchinson has had its say on that over, over the last 24 hours, but I don't see them changing their approach. And if they can't merge the two companies, I really feel that it's quite unlikely that a three-way merger could go ahead. Let's see what happens. Yep. What do you think, Alan? It sort of, well, it sort of leaves three very isolated. I mean, it is, yeah. it is a smaller part of the network in the business in the UK. Um, and it can't merge if it can't merge with O2 it certainly wouldn't merge with EE and uh, the only alternative if it wants to become a bigger force is to merge with Vodafone but it's Vodafone's home country I wouldn't have thought Vodafone would want to sell off or do a joint venture with three it's it's a challenge for three there isn't any other big merger unless it merged with another another telco who else is there really mm -hmm. talk talk or somebody like that I suppose or I guess they could diversify um, and concentrate more on the Spectrum um, portfolio that they have. I mean, they have just recently moved a couple of executives from the um, Irish arm of the business into the UK, um, which kind of, you know, hints that maybe there may be some kind of um, expansion on the horizon. Yeah, good point. I think that might be true. But uh, yes, and of course, the odd thing is that O2 and 3 in Ireland did merge quite successfully and mm -hmm. O2 disappeared from Ireland. So that, um, one sort of four years ago saw that as a rehearsal for the UK merger. And then, of course, the UK merger got blocked. So it's a bit of a conundrum for Hutchison, I think. And we will keep an eye on this one as well. Um, and just before we move to our COVID-19 roundup, uh, a big highlight for the week on the data center space was KKR's $1 billion investment in Europe's brand new data center player. Um, the global investment firm announced the funding of Global Technical Realty, the latest startup in town set up as a build to suit and roll up acquisition data center platform seeking suitable M&A opportunities, primarily in key European markets. Um, alongside debt financing, KKR's equity commitment, commitment is expected to support more than $2.5 billion of asset development and investment, including opportunities from highly active commercial pipeline as the demand for third-party data center provision continues to grow. Uh, heading global technical realty, 
um, is CEO Frank Sodzwazink, apologies for the pronunciation of the surname, um, who is no stranger to the data center world. He is the former founder, founder and CEO of Zinian Data Centers, later acquired by Cyrus One, uh, and former co-founder and CEO of Centrum. Speaking to the economy this week, um, he told us that GTR anticipates a period of significant increase of capacity in the next five to ten years. Uh, this will be supplemented by targeted acquisitions, and whilst the business will not comment on specific plans for acquisitions at this point, um, he said he is, re he is really excited by the opportunities to acquire small individual assets in secondary European markets. Um, Franek revealed to us that GTR will focus primarily on the biggest data center markets, such as Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam and Paris. Uh, but the company is also very interested in smaller, as you mentioned, secondary European markets, such as Milan, Madrid, Warsaw and Stockholm, um, for expanding markets. And Madrid used to be one of the largest ones in Europe as well, um, until Dublin took over. Um, we did ask him if COVID-19 had affected um, any plans surrounding GTR. Uh, he did seem, he said basically no. And it seems like the pandemic has actually not hold back anything. Um, and has actually accelerated market demand due to migration to the clouds occurring even faster as more businesses work remotely and use and people use more data. Um, on the larger scheme of things, KKR's $1 billion commitment into GTR is yet another proof that private equity has the cash and is ready to invest in data center businesses. We do expect this trend to continue for the foreseeable future, not only in Europe, but around the world, including emerging markets to a certain extent, um, such as Africa. Um, but with that, with that said, um, I, th I thought it would be nice for us to finish on a, on a good note this week with some good news. Um, and although I've already mentioned a little bit of it, um, it's time for a quick roundup of COVID-19 stories. Um, as this week, we've seen some extraordinary developments taking place. Um, Abigail, you had a really nice story on the data center space uh, related to COVID. W what's happened? Yeah, so Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced new measures at the board, at the UK border to guard against a second wave of uh, coronavirus infections, which include passengers arriving in the UK. They will be required to self-isolate for 14 days um, and could be contacted regularly through this period to ensure that they are being compliant. What's interesting is that the UK government published a list of people who will be exempt from these isolation rules, which include data centre workers. Um, the relevant description for operators is, according to the document, a person involved in essential maintenance and repair of data infrastructure required to reduce and resolve outages or in the provision of good and goods and services to support these activities. Um, and also telecoms is not exempt. I mean, they are exempt um, as information technology and telecommunications professionals whose expertise is required to provide an essential or emergency response to mm. threats and incidents relating to the mm. security or any network and information systems will also be exempt um, from the 14-day self-isolation. This comes off the back of the fact that the UK government established them as key workers when lockdown measures um, were first put in place in March. It's a very interesting move um, for the data centre world um, because it's been taking a lot of conversations in Downing Street, especially by Tech UK and its members, um, to really show the government how important data centers are to the digital economy um, and that they should be considered critical infrastructure and in this case, critical workers. And we've seen the same thing take place in several other countries uh, across Europe, the Americas and even in Asia. Um, and there was a quite interesting table being published by Tech UK a few weeks ago on how countries sort of shifted their view of data centers and how critical they are to the infrastructure. 
Um, so there might be something we will be publishing as well at some point on the economy um, once we get a bit more information on that. Um, as for the two weeks quarantine in the UK, I think there's still going to be a lot of conversations around that because there's now a value to it. So for every week of quarantine, the tourist industry is going to lose about £650 million. Pounds. Um, so we might see things change a little bit because everything seems to change on a daily basis now anyway. So we might see something change in the coming days. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, with that said, uh, that's all for me and the team for this week's episode of the Digital Digest. Um, thank you to you, our listeners at home, and do join us again next week when we talk about the top stories that will make the headlines over the next seven days. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to both Data Economy and Capacity Newsletters. From me and the team, have a good weekend.